It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We've got an interesting show in store today. Actually, um, I hope you enjoyed yesterday's show. Um, I actually had the day off. I don't know if you could tell. It was a pre-recorded show for President's Day with encore uh, interviews with... um, George Liebman uh, on failed presidents and Owen Symes on the Obama years and Stephen uh, Levingston talking about the uh, partnership between um, Joe Biden and Barack Obama. Anyway, interesting stuff for President's Day. Um, And it's going to seem like we're kind of continuing. Tomorrow uh, morning on the show, let's see if I've got this right. Um, yeah, tomorrow, of course, is uh, Wednesday, which is Armchair Politics. Seth Radwell, the author of American Schism, will be joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. But we're going to open the show. Um, our guest in the in the first hour is uh, journalist Neil Thompson, who's written a book called The First Kennedys, The Humble Roots of an American Dynasty. And... Uh, going to be kind of interesting because it goes way back it goes back before joe and rose and in uh, talks about the the very first uh, kennedys and uh, so it seemed appropriate that i i had a little room to squeeze something in in today's show this is going to be kind of a lead up to tomorrow um larry ty was on the show um Oh, he's been on the show a couple times. But when he uh, when he wrote his book uh, about Bobby Kennedy, The Making of a Liberal Icon, and we're going to have an encore of that coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour today. Um, and then in the, uh, in the second hour, we're going to talk with um, Dr. David Wilcox who has written a book that probably should be on every American shelf, How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, A Patient's Handbook for Survival. And he's going to tell us uh, all about what that survival means and what it might look like and and, uh, what's in the book. But uh, the first hour of today's show, this is going to be, well... In some ways, a little bit like breaking news. I don't know if you've been following what's going on in Ukraine, but Russian President Vladimir Putin has ordered troops into separatist-held parts of eastern Ukraine in what the Kremlin is calling a peacekeeping mission. 
uh, just hours after he signed decrees recognizing the independence of the Moscow-backed regions. And um, it's they haven't invaded Ukraine, but they certainly have moved troops into sections of, of Ukraine. And, and the question is whether or not they're actually sections of Ukraine or not. And, and it continues to accelerate and, and create tension um, in the region. And so it uh, was actually sort of fortuitous when I had, um, when I discovered that my guest, who I have scheduled for this first hour, is a uh, war correspondent who is uh, traveling in the U.S. from the Ukraine front lines. He's just recently been in the Ukraine. He is the editor-in-chief of the Continental Literary Magazine. His name is uh, Shandor Yasbrani, and um, he's actually scheduled to be on the show to talk about the new publication, which is a quarterly, uh, quarterly literary magazine that introduces exceptional Central European literature to American readership, in addition to the English language writings of the best authors from Central Europe, the quarterly also features writings of world-famous American writers and, and literary giants. So um, it's going to be uh, interesting to talk to Shandor because we'll talk about this this new publication. Like I say, it comes out quarterly. It is available in the U.S. You can find it at Barnes & Noble. It's called The Continental Literary Magazine. And um, Shandor is uh, the author of, uh, let's see, um, The Most Beautiful Night of the Soul, More Stories from the Middle East and Beyond, The Devil is a Black Dog, Stories from the Middle East and Beyond. Um, Shandor is a celebrated author who received Hungary's top literary prize. Um, as a correspondent uh, for European news sites, he has covered conflicts throughout the world, often in the Middle East, and his writings have appeared in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Anyway, coming up in about a minute and a half or so, um, I will uh, be talking with, um, and, and i got to get this name right, Shandor... Yes, Brainy. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, a whole bunch of vowels in it. But but anyway, <laughs> as I said, Shandor is the editor-in-chief of the Continental uh, Literary Magazine, a new magazine available in Central Europe and the U.S. Um, and let's see, what else can I tell you about? Oh, today is uh, Tuesday. <laughs> Literally, it's it's all about twos, two twenty two twenty two, and uh, actually uh, two twenty two I I think is um, one of my ex wife's birthdays. So, uh, whichever one it is, happy birthday to you wherever you are, and um, and I hope uh, everybody gets two of whatever they want on this uh, Tuesday. 
and we'll continue with our Tuesday edition of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead with the uh, editor-in-chief of the Continental Literary Magazine, Shandor Yasbrainy. That's, uh, that's straight ahead, so don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. There's lots of good stuff on today's uh, Tuesday edition of the Tom Sumner program, so stay with us. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is uh, in the United States, just recently uh, traveling here from the the front lines of Ukraine. He is the editor-in-chief of uh, the Continental uh, Literary Magazine, and we're going to talk a little bit about that magazine and about the... Uh, um, journalism and and writings of my guest Shandor uh, Yasbrini. I think I'm saying that close to right. Uh, yes. Shandor, welcome to the show. Good morning there. Thank you very much. Well, you know, the thing is I have this joke that I'm going to pay anyone a hundred bucks on spot who can pronounce my name. Uh, correctly, and guess what? I'm doing the business for 15 years, and still have this hundred buckets from my in my pocket. So, the thing is, uh, you were really close to get a hundred bucks. <laughs> I am the editor chief of the Continental Literary Magazine. Well, tell me about and the. Yes, I do work as a war correspondent. Yeah, you're you. This? You've worked as a war so, correspondent. Yeah. And the magazine. For a number of different uh, publications, but now you're the editor-in-chief of the Continental Literary Magazine. What is the function of the Continental? Uh, you know, the, the, the idea is to create a discussion between uh, the two sides of the, of the Pacific. We, uh, the Central European countries, these are tiny com uh, countries compared to the uh, U.S., but now we have translators who can do the translation on a level which will be uh, professional to, to, to the, the, the readers. And what we aim for is basically create a discussion between uh, the leading intellectuals and writers about serious topics which are really alarming and important. So this is how we, we put together our issues. The first one of the content literary magazines issue is uh, revolving around uh, prejudice. And, you know, uh, we started to to put together the first issue after reading a, a Harvard study about even good people have bias. And uh, these questions of prejudice and the concept of race is really a, a, a very urgent and important question here in the U.S. society. So we reached out to Professor Noam Chomsky, and he gave a wonderful uh, explanation how race is a social construct and how he actually uh, was not considered white when he was a kid, because Jewish people weren't considered white. So the concept of race is changing, and it, it, is, it has already changed Professor Chomsky's lifetime, and now it's changing because the Spanish-speaking population in the U.S. is getting into the concept of being white as, as, as a uh, racial term. So we're addressing racist issues, we're addressing prejudice, we're ad uh, uh, addressing a lot of really urgent questions here in the U.S. and all around the world. And we would like to just put down our two cents 
on, on the issues and definitely introduce the American uh, readership and writers to what we have on the other side of the ocean. Is this primarily an online publication, Shandor? No, we, we, this is a, a, a printed quarterly. So, you know, when I wanted to, I mean, we are a bit uh, old-fashioned, and I wanted to be a bit old-fashioned in the way that I wanted to have a printed quarterly. We are launching our online website, which will be full with content, and it will be pretty much like an online, but uh, the, the, the magazine we are uh, launching is printed, designed by the very best designers in, in, in Europe. So basically, it, it is a really nice uh, publication, uh, and it's available in all around uh, in the, at the Barnes & Noble's bookshops in the country. Shandor, I, I applaud you and your colleagues for the work you're doing in this publication. I've always said that I thought Americans, by and large, were fairly uninformed about what's going on around the world and what's being said by some of the, the great writers of the world outside of the U.S. Um, is is that at all wrapped up in the mission of this uh, new publication? Absolutely, yes. And don't forget that we are not a Central European literary magazine. We are an American one. So this is not an exclusive club. We are very much looking to hear the voice of the new uh, new writers of America, and of course, uh, the uh, having the the the, um, uh, the established American writers in our issues. So the aim is, and it's really this is what we aim for, is to create a discussion between the continents. How and long? you know the thing is like sometimes they ask me why why would you read a, a new review? Why would you need a new literary magazine? Because you don't really have any. If you if you do some research in the American literary market, well, you know, uh, it's almost always uh, really hard to get into one. An emerging young American writer will wait forever to get into one of the old school traditional literary magazines with a, uh, a history. This is what we want to change. You need new magazines, literary magazines and art magazines. You need art and you need discussion, definitely. How long has the, the Continental been publishing? Well, you know, this is the first issue. We started working oh. on it for two years. So first we, okay. you know, there were several researchers. We had unlimited amount of brainstorms. We reached out to American counterparts and literary people and listened to their ideas. And it took forever, you know, to, to get the first issue uh, published. But now it will be much more easier. And we're already creating a buzz with the lunch tour here. So it's like we are receiving emails and letters from American writers. We are in touch with the, the big ones. So this is going to continue for the upcoming years, hopefully. And the buzz is really uh, interesting. You know, the second issue is already in print, and I'm really proud to say that we have Marina Abramovich in the, in the second issue, which is revolving around craving. So I think this is, uh, this, is a, this was a hard job, but I think it's worth all the planning. More with Shandor Yasbrainy, the editor-in-chief of the Continental Literary Magazine.
straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. We're up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. 
Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with Shandor Yasbrainy, the editor-in-chief of the Continental Literary Magazine. Straight ahead. So in this publication, uh, Shandor, you're doing deep dives on on politics and philosophy and theology and arts and and literature um do you think it's it's timely because it comes out quarterly or do you just dig deep on the things behind the things that we look at um that we look to headlines for Yeah, I, I do absolutely dig deeper than, you know, you see in the headlines. So we're not aiming to be a news outlet in any sort. And, you know, when you were saying we are in, in, interested in politics, no, we are interested in social issues. Okay. Not that much in, 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 in contemporary politics. We are interested in general values. And don't forget that my generation of Central Europeans are raised on the ideas of America. So I see when, you know, and it really saddens me that, you know, America is busy about its own problems. There's a rift between here in the society between uh, the blues and the reds. And, and, you know, the thing is, it's like you never stop to look uh, at the U.S. from a distance. And, you know, with all your flaws here, people, your country is still great and the only beacon of democracy. Listen, this is what I wanted to tell you about that... Uh, America is very much important for the for the world with your ideas and things, and we really we we really would like to get into this discussion, and you know, like this generation I'm coming from from Central Europe, we are pretty much looking at America as a uh, as a as a big uh, mother figure, because because whatever we know about lib- uh, liberal values or democracy is coming from the U.S. You know, there's, even if, if it's like I was talking to hardcore Catholics and conservative people in my country when it comes to, you know, Russians, like, and I asked them, which would they choose? Would they choose the U.S. democracy with the LMBTQ plus people's rights and things like that, or the Russian democracy? And you know what, what I got an answer? They said they would ha- personally hand paint all the signs on the toilets because the only option to have a democracy is the American democracy. The rest is not democracy. Shandor, I have to ask, with uh, your background as a war correspondent, um, how is it that you're in the U.S. with what's going on in uh, Ukraine right now? Well, you know, the the, the, the problem is... uh, I am covering the Ukrainian crisis for since 2014, since the, the Maidan revolution. And uh, what we, uh, the situation is very dire and we are scared. First of all, I was, I was in, uh, in, the, uh, in the siege of Debalseva in heavy shelling. I covered the referendum in the Crimea when, you know, Russians, um, the people voted there to join Russia. I've been all around. I've, been, I've seen fighting there. The problem is what we're facing now is an invasion army. Don't forget that, you know, in the past, 
Russia did not get involved in, uh, with the regular army in this conflict. They sent their special ops without insignia. So, but we never seen actually Russian troops building up anywhere. We knew they were Russians, but there was, that was not official. The difference is, right now we see an old-school, Second World War style of invasion force building up at the borders of Ukraine from all sides. And, you know, the thing is, if they start, they can take the, the capital, Kiev, in like two days. Well, and Ukrainians... They've already moved... ...training support from... Again, please? President Putin has already moved Hello. troops into areas that he's referring to as um, separatist. And is that is that a le- exactly why and he's calling them peacekeepers? Is is that a, a legitimate sort of characterization of what's happening? I don't think so. Uh, look. Uh, what we know, and we were, we have been waiting for so far for an excuse to start, start some kind of uh, offensive. What we see right now is not a full-scale invasion. Uh, there are tensions, and already the Russian troops are moving into the, the eastern region of Ukraine. And these are clearly Russian troops. They call them peacekeepers because they can't call them invasion forces. But we all know what this is about. Crimea needs fresh water support because uh, it, does, it uh, doesn't get fresh water support from uh, Ukraine anymore. So they have to secure the, the, the water supplies to Crimea. So they want to cut out small pieces of the body of the Ukraine uh, one by one. They probably going to take two cities and then stop, and they will do it every second year until they finally eat up the whole country. So this is not a full-scale invasion because that would be uh, trigger harsh mechanism from the NATO and or our allies. But I think this is pretty much like what Putin always do, and we are very much concerned about uh, the U.S. because you know right now what we see the U.S. is focusing on China and the conflict uh, with China, and you really pay less attention to to Europe. So that's why President Putin can do whatever he wants, and we are really scared of that. Well, I heard someone say recently they thought it was time for the U.S. to pay less attention to the Middle East and more attention to Asia. Um, would you suggest that Eastern Europe should be uh, front and center in, in American uh, foreign affairs? Well, you know, the thing is, we are the member states of NATO. The Baltics are the member states of NATO. And don't forget, NATO was p- pretty much uh, created to counter the Soviet Union's presence in, during the Cold War. What we see now is, uh, you know, the U.S. is focusing its attention towards Asia and leaving behind Europe. And, I mean, we have this terrible joke among amongst the uh, war correspondents from the region, not just Central Europeans, but, you know, Germans and the others, that, you know, what we see now in the invasion force, what are the guarantees they stay, uh, stop at Ukraine? They will take the Baltics, which are not NATO members, some of them. And, you know, the thing is, like, we have this terrible joke saying, like, where can we stop the Russians if they start a full-scale invasion? And the answer is Berlin, because they will stop there to refill. <laughs> 
So the the problem is it's really the future of of, of Europe, and and uh, we are very much looking for the, some kind of of political solution of the the tension. But I think you know giving anything to a bully will just encourage them. Well, I I had a very different impression of of what uh, President Putin was up to. I, I I knew it was about water, but for some reason I thought it was about um, trade routes and and waterways, seaways, and and access to. Uh, 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 you know, we are talking about coastal areas. The, the continent. Absolutely. So it's like, listen, they are want to cut off the exit to the sea. Uh, probably two cities are in the target of the Russians. One is uh, Mariupol, and the other one is Kharkiv. Kharkiv is because it's uh, uh, populated mostly by ethnic Russians, uh, and Mariupol because it's a sea exit. So these are these are the main names, I think, of the Russian peacekeeping forces with an apostrophe, uh, and you know. On the other uh, hand, Ukrainians, especially uh, those who are intellectuals, are very much fed up with the Russian kind of democracy. They are very much looking to have liberal democracies in their countries. And, you know, the problem is that Russians are following an old school doctrine saying, you know, we touch Ukraine, Russia is just an Asian country. So we, they will never let go Ukraine in a peaceful way. And, you know, we, we are here with the Content Literary Magazine. We're just putting together a selection of Ukrainian poetry reflecting the mm. war and how hopeful this is. You know, when I was talking to serious military uh, personnel from Ukraine, I mean, high-ranking officials, I asked them whether they can hold out, uh, hold out uh, an invasion, and they said, we can't. What we are preparing for is some guerrilla fight if they do uh, invade the country. Um, are are they are they well prepared for that? Can you? The thing is, it's like you know, the Western allies. Don't forget, there's the the, the Budapest Treaty, which uh, guarantees Ukraine in exchange for giving up, you know, its nuclear arsenal after the fall of the Soviet Union, that uh, it will. Provide security to to the to the country. Uh, the, uh, the the United Kingdom, uh, France, and the Baltics were supporting weapons, and the U.S. was supporting lethal aid to Ukraine. But I mean, if you're talking about sheer numbers, if you just check the the the, the sheer numbers, it's it's really hope, hopeless. They can't hold it back. They was they can they can cause really. Heavy damages to the uh, to the Russians, but they will not hold back an invasion, and then you know it will destabilize the whole region. If there's a, a guerrilla kind of warfare happening next to my country. I mean, we are co- uh, actually at the border with Ukraine, so so this will this will spread the destability in Europe. I think so. Yeah, I didn't I didn't ask you, Shandor. I I, I didn't think to ask you. Um, where do you call home? Well, you know, the thing is, I am a Hungarian, which means, like, you know, I love in Hungarian, <laughs> I live in Hungarian. I do live in Cairo. So I do live in Cairo because uh, I like the weather and I like the food there. And it's really, you know, the trick is not to earn too much money. The trick is to live in a country which is, which is dirt cheap. So 
to, you know, uh, I have an easy life in, 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 in Cairo, but I call hunger in my home. And, but I'm pretty much, you know, I'm like a traveling salesman, but my, my product is war and suffering. So <laughs> I've been all around in the last 15 years. Shandor. the major conflicts, name it. So it's like I've been there that. When you said you were Hungarian, I thought you were. I thought yeah. you were going to say you were a gypsy. <laughs> well, you know the thing is, it's like there's a legend in my family that my mom has had some gypsy blood in her. That can be true, but the thing is, it's like you know, it's like American expatriates. No matter where you live as an American, you will be still an American. You will be still have these feelings. The same applies to everyone, I think. No matter which country are you traveling, which country you are spending time with, you bringing yourself, your upbringing, your education, your childhood, you can never get away from that. Is there, um, is, is there a peaceful solution to the, the water situation in Crimea uh, uh, with the Ukraine that, where where perhaps President Putin could get what he's after without necessarily occupying the Ukraine? Well, I wish there was. I don't know. I, the problem is nobody knows. You know, everyone has this nostalgic feeling that we are at the beginning of the Second World War when, you know, the Germans wanted the Sudetenland. So we don't know. And the thing is, don't forget that officially the water issue is not on the table. It's just a strategic resource. So what Putin demands is, the, is a NATO, NATO withdrawal from uh, to the 1991 uh, conditions, which means, like, you know, my country is out of, of NATO because we, we joined NATO after the fall of the Soviet Union. So what Putin wants is, is like, stopping the the NATO somewhere and, and getting back the former glory of Russia, which is, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the Soviet Union and the glory of the Soviet Union, where they were controlling half of Europe. And I think that's really frightening, because we don't really know what to give President Putin to be satisfied. And don't forget, on the other hand, is the problem is, like, the sole energy resource we have is coming from Russia. So... Russia is uh, all around Europe. I'm not talking about just Central Europe. I'm talking about Germany, France, name it. Uh, so basically, President Putin doesn't have to send an army. He can just play with the gas supply, and then, you know, Berlin will be extremely cold in the winter because we will not have any energy to fuel our homes. Is we don't know. I don't know personally, but I'm really paying a close focus of, of, of the events happening on the ground. And I don't know where this is going to end. And I'm not really optimistic, to be honest. It's, is the fact that Russia appears to be moving in a direction to rebuild the former Soviet Union. Um, after the Soviet Union fell, it looked like Russia was going to become you know very very um what's what's the word um successful on its own did that fail and and they they can't uh survive without that that block that that buffer zone that that was the soviet union 
uh, we actually addressing this with the content of the magazine as well that you know there were a great hopes after the fall of the Soviet Union all around the region. Uh, the thing is, I, I think Russia did not become successful, and they are solely dependent of their their only income they have are uh, the are from the energy uh, exports. So basically, they get uh, paid for for selling gas all around. The thing is, is it's like you know, this is what I'm telling you. Is like you know, the nuclear bomb of economy is the I mean, kicking out someone from the SWIFT system, the banking international banking system. And you know the thing is, it's like like all the American friends I've talked to, they said that that yeah, that's a really really serious threat for Russia, so they will back back out. And I'm always telling them that you guys, you just forget that these people were happy to have eating potatoes for a hundred years during uh, communism, having uh, one shoe and one trouser, as long as they thought that they are are power to deal with. So th we are losing the the mindset of Russian people. Uh, when it comes to, to uh, the way of living, and uh, the thing is, like the Russian economy can be compared to Italy's, not to the U.S. What well, they have, they have weapons. They have enough tanks to line them up till Berlin. So, so the thing is, they don't really have an economy. They depending on selling gas, and because of the energy crisis, they get some money, so they can actually, you know, build up an army to to start you know, getting back the former glory of the Soviet Union. But to, to answer your question, I really think uh, the hopes of Russia becoming a liberal democracy with a great economy is past. It's stagnant, stagnant with oligarchs, with uh, a hardcore dictatorship, so all of our hopes went down the drain. My guest is Shandor... Uh, yes, Brainy, and I think I'm still saying that close to right. But uh, Shandor, we're getting close to the end of our uh, our time, and I feel like we're just scratching the surface. And there are a couple of things I want to make sure that we get in. One is uh, where people can can right. find the Continental, but also where people can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Well, um, you can buy the Continental, the print issue, or at um, all the Barnes and Nobles in the States. Great. So probably there's one in Michigan as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can check it online, the www.continentalmagazine.com website. You can order it online, and you can have a, an e-book copy. And if you are interested in my writing, you just put my name into the Google. Uh, I published two books uh, of uh, literary fiction, and it's very much related to my work. And you can uh, check, because I always do freelancing, so I can give you an American outlet for what I'm writing for. There are several, but my name will pop up, and if you see a name you can't pronounce, that's probably me. <laughs> so so I, I think this is how you can find it. Um, but there's information... But listen, I'm really, really... Go ahead, Sorry? Shandor. Go ahead. Well, I mean, just I, I'm really pleased with you because you are pretty much close to the original pronunciation. So I'm I'm really impressed. <laughs> well, I I have to thank Ted for that because he he trained me a little bit before we connected by phone. <laughs> Shandor, I had a little bit of practice. Actually, poor Americans. I mean, I'm for that. 
You know, it's really funny because uh, the thing is, you know Hungarians. I'm pretty sure that you know Andre Friedman, but you don't uh, know him well because I'm telling his Hungarian name. He changed his name to Robert Kappa. Uh -huh. And, you know, when I first came to, to work for international outlets, I was, I was really much thinking about changing my name to a much more Western-sounding one. But then I said, oh, damn it, I'm going to keep it. You will learn it. And I'm doing my best to do that. Well, and I'm doing my best to learn it. So we're we're meeting in the middle there. You did actually. Shandor. I well, let me yeah. let me uh, let Absolutely. me just ask what's. Um, I, I let me let me just add to what we were saying about how people can find out more about you. If people go to the Continental Magazine website, there's information about Shandor there, and you can probably link to some uh, other sites where you can find out more about uh, about Shandor. Um, Shandor, it's been a real privilege meeting you and, and getting to chat a little bit. I hope we get to talk some more in the future. Yeah, me too. And it was my pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Once again, that was uh, Shandor Yasberini and... Um, He's, uh, as he mentioned, the author of uh, a couple of uh, literary fiction books that are tied to his uh, his writings, which, um, well, he's covered conflicts throughout the world, often in the Middle East, and his writings have appeared in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. He is currently the editor-in-chief of uh, a new publication that comes out quarterly, The Continental, uh, literary magazine, and uh, its purpose is to introduce exceptional Central European literature to American readership, in addition to the English language writings of the best authors in Central Europe. The quarterly also features the writings of world-famous American writers and literary giants. And as I mentioned, it comes out quarterly, and uh, the editor-in-chief uh, was my guest this morning. Just recently uh, traveling to the States from Ukraine, so it was interesting to get his perception of some of what's going on um, with the with uh, Ukraine as as they are in the headlines as we speak um with that we're going to uh have more of the tom sumner program <laughs> Yeah. 
this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi. .gov slash AG complaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell, East Village Magazine, Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. WH Wise Carver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flip Flip Technology, My Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. 
Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Which is very good. For if you wish a dish that's Chinese, somewhere down in Column B, there's lobster Cantonese. Enchiladas, that's what people eat in Mexico. Shish kebab is skewered in Armenia, you know. Then there's blubber, the favorite of the frigid Eskimo. Such delicious dishes, no matter where you go. Chicken cacciatore is Italian. Kangaroo souffle must be Australian. Mutton chops are definitely British. Chicken soup undoubtedly is Yiddish. Pumpernickel comes from Lithuania. Hansen comes from Pennsylvania. Wiener schnitzel's Austrian or German. Kindly pass the sauerbrot in Hermann. Borscht is what they're eating in the Soviet. Wait, I think we've got some on the stove yet. <laughs> See the mouse underneath the jungle sky. Jolly mouse. Mouse eating missionary pie. <laughs> Frenchmen eat a lot of bouillabaisse there. Dutchmen eat a sauce called hollandaise there. Smorgasbord in Sweden is the winner. In America, it's TV dinner. <laughs> so there you have one food from each land. Each one delicious, each one simply grand. Mix them all up. In one big mishmash, and what have you got? Hungarian goulash. Hey! Right, now, in order for you to understand what I'm going to do next, I have to go way back and speak about my great grandfather, whom we traced back to Marie Antoinette. As a matter of fact, my great grandmother traced him back there a couple of times. <laughs> He was partly responsible for the birth of my grandfather. He thought. <laughs> my grandfather was born in Denmark. He was Danish after his mother and Swedish after a friend of his father's. <laughs> he was one of the great inventors of his time. He invented the burglar alarm, which unfortunately was stolen from him. <laughs> He was a brilliant man. He was, among other things, a PhD. Just a f <laughs> So was his wife. However, 
Besides being a brilliant... <laughs> he also was a great chemist. He was the one who invented the cure for which there was no disease to know. <laughs> Unfortunately, his wife later caught the cure and died. <laughs> he was a strange personality. He always experimented with something. Once he... Um, he crossed an Idaho potato with a sponge. <laughs> Imagine that silly idea. It tasted horrible. <laughs> but it sure held a lot of gravy. I think his greatest invention was a soft drink, which he called Four Up. <laughs> but it wasn't successful at all. So he invented Five Up. But still it didn't click, you know. Then came Six Up. But still nobody liked it. So he gave up and died heartbroken a couple of weeks later. But little did he know how close he came. <laughs> Then I was born, and when that happened, my parents were, well, they were not poor, but they didn't have any money. <laughs> so I was actually born at home. And when my mother saw me, she was taken to the hospital. <laughs> One day, when I was four years old, my father came home. And he found me in the living room in front of a roaring fire, which made him very angry because we didn't have a fireplace. <laughs> there I sat, here my father stood, burning up. He pointed at me, see, my father was left-handed. He always pointed this way. I was sitting on the other side. So my father said, Borger. He didn't know my first name. <laughs> See, in my father's family, we had a little trouble up here. In the head. My father was all right, but his two brothers, my male uncles. <laughs> you know, in Denmark, we always distinguish, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the fact that we have three sexes over there. <laughs> Male, female, and convertible. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I was supposed to have been back to Denmark this summer. But I ain't going. Once I made up my mind what I was going to be, and that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> what I meant to tell you before was, and this is not a joke, this is really a fact, that two weeks ago, we celebrated my uncle's 100th 
and third birthday. Isn't that something? Thank you very much. One hundred and third birthday. Unfortunately, he wasn't present. How could he be? He died when he was 29. <laughs> but what I meant to say was that he was the one who went crazy. And his mother used to say that he went crazy because he never got the woman he loved. And that's a lot of nonsense because his brother went just as crazy. <laughs> and he got her. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell there is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm and if you got a better <coughs> now back in 1918 influenza had its run but half the docks were busy overseas with world war one today we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away super damn important that we practice isolation cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation will overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation it's super damn important that we practice isolation if we don't do it then we're all gonna die if we don't do it then we're all gonna die and so i hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart cause it's already scary and we're only at the start if you get bored just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized oh super bad transmittable contagious awful virus if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until july a super bad transmittable Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com You pilots get off my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.